We play and call it work. Mini Wargamer Dave here from MiniWargaming.com. Welcome, Wargamers, to the Shrine of Chaos. Today, my special guest is none other than Nick Nanavati. How's it going, Nick? How's it going, Dave? Thanks for having me. Uh, no, no worries, man. It's it's exciting to have you. It's we're not typically uh, we don't really delve into uh, competitive 40k too much, but you know what? I thought that it would be interesting to to talk to you about this and to kind of uh, kind of do a little bit of searching because I myself I'm not a competitive player. I play. I'm a casual player for sure, casual narrative player, and uh, mm -hmm. you are the other. If there is like a trifecta of 40k. Uh, you're definitely on the other end of the spectrum for for gameplay style and gameplay type. And so right. I, I was actually very surprised to have you reach out to me, but I appreciate the invite. I'm glad we can kind of cross the bridges between the way we enjoy our hobbies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I think there's actually uh, there's a couple there's actually a couple stigmas attached to tournament players. And I think you can maybe help me shatter the stigma that it's I would love to <laughs> that it's Phil and this th these are what they are right it's like and this yeah. isn't not, not everyone thinks this but a lot of people think this that it's filled with uh those guys and gotcha moment type of players right and, right uh and so you've played in a number of tournaments so what could you say about that yeah so that's definitely a fear that I feel like a lot of players have, and it, it's very much a theoretical fear because no one wants that to happen. No one wants to be gotcha. No one wants to be abused on the sportsmanship level of the game. Right. That includes the players who are attending the tournaments. You know, they are also just people who are there to have a good time, play clean 40k, and just they're doing it more competitively. As far as I care about winning this game more than you know, someone who's just playing in their basement. Yeah. But you know, there's a whole motion called playing by intent i'm not sure if you guys on the more casual side know about this as a concept because it's probably something you just do naturally but basically it's something along the lines of you make your intentions known to your opponent okay. before you actually do stuff right so let's say i'm going for a deep strike type of play on my opponent and you know he's uh I just am going quick, so I don't really take the time to measure out all my models. We know I'm nine inches away, 9.1, because that's where you have to be when you deep strike. Right. So it's a nine-inch charge, presumably. Yeah. But let's say I was sloppy with my placement, and you know, a couple guys are eight inches away, and a couple guys are 10 inches away. Well, obviously, that they can't be eight inches away. And if they're 10 inches away, why would I do that? You know, exactly. It's a nine. It's a nine. So right. kind of like speaking with your opponent, it's a dialogue. It's very much a conversational game. Um, I, I've literally, I teach this stuff all the time in my coaching stuff. Playing by intent is something I adhere to and I like embed into my students' minds and the people I play with. It's just 40K is a complex game where there's going to be misunderstandings and miscommunications. You could be the guy that tries to abuse those to your advantage or you can be an actual human being and try to work through them, which is the vast majority of tournament players. And as a community on the tournament side of things, the tournament organizers and the players, we're all doing our best to reform those who are not adhering to a level of sportsmanship and conduct that meet normal person standards. Right. Um, whether or not that's kind of shunning them from the community, if they fail to adapt or if it's just helping and working with them to understand what is the appropriate way to play this game. Right. So it's very much a gentleman's game at the, at the top levels too. Now, have you found that since this has been more of a, uh, I guess, focus, because it sounds like it, there's a there's a focus on it. Has it mitigated a lot of arguments and a lot of those types Absolutely. of confrontations? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
it, you can preemptively solve almost all the arguments you have by just communicating clearly with your opponent. So um, 40K is a game where models get bumped, things get nudged, the table gets bumped, I just smell drinks on the table. You know, things happen, and models aren't where they were five minutes ago. Right. And if you're clear about your intentions, like, all right, I'm going to get out of my rhino. I'm going to disembark three inches. My base is an inch wide. I'm going to move six inches, and then I'm eight inches away from you. All right, I'm eight inches away from you. We know where I'm at. You'd have that conversation with your opponent. Then, you know, dice get rolled, knocked into those models, and then we reset them up, and we have no clue where they were two minutes ago. But we know relative to what they were trying to accomplish where they were. So you can preemptively solve almost all of your arguments by just adhering to this style. And then if you're upfront also about the rules um, with your opponent, and this kind of comes down to reading your opponent. Not to be fair, not every player follows this, but the vast majority do. In my experience, I, I can count on one hand, and I've played over a thousand tournament games. I feel like how many times I've had a bad experience. So, like an example would be, you're playing against Space Wolves, and they have oddball rules, like their characters can heroic intervention six inches instead of the normal three. So I'm moving around my units, and I'm charging, and I'm trying to avoid the heroic interventions because it's scary. So I measure 3.1 inches away from all your characters because I don't want to get chopped in half by Ragnar. Yeah. And then, you know, some people can be like, aha, you done forgot my really obscure rule, and now I'm going to heroic intervene you and chop you in half. Right. But what I would aspire to do and what all of my Art of War coaches and all of, most of the people I play with in tournaments, whether or not they're part of my brand or just strangers who I've never met, but they will all be like – Actually, Space Wolves have a heroic intervention thing that lets them heroic six inches. So if you want to try to be out of that, you're going to have to be a little further back. And then it becomes back to a tactical choice right. rather than a gotcha moment. Then because, a gotcha moment, yeah. Yeah, I can choose to be further back, but that might have its own disadvantages, or maybe I won't be able to pull off my plan. Whereas like, if you don't let give me that tactical option by making me aware of your open book rules, then you know that's going to lead to some feel-bads. Yeah. No one wants that. For sure. It all comes down to the mantra that you want to be better than your opponent. Not as far as like, I want to beat you because I'm better than you and because I outplayed you and I'm a better general than you, all that stuff. Um, it's not, I don't want to beat you because, aha, I got you on a technicality. Like a technical win isn't a clean win. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. No, that's that's true. I guess that's a that's the same with any sport, really. Like if you're playing golf and uh, you knock the golf ball a millimeter, you count it as right. a stroke. Right, but you lost because of that. That actually reminds me of that movie, Legend of Bagger Vance. I don't know if you ever saw that. No, I haven't. I'm uh, so bad at movies. I'm like <laughs> every movie that you think I should have probably seen, I probably haven't seen it. Okay, so uh, for for the viewers who are just like, because uh, a lot of our viewers are narrative casual gamers, right? Uh, a lot of them aren't competitive gamers. So for those of us who don't know who you are, uh, who are you? And uh, uh, tout your your uh, your wins and your accomplishments and th- this is uh this isn't uh oh look at this guy bragging this is me asking you so like okay yeah okay. just tell me all the stuff so so that we know sure so for those of you who don't know me i'm nick Nanavati. i have been playing competitive 40k i've been playing 40k since i was 10 years old so that's about 16 years now um i've been playing competitively probably since i was like 14 or 15 and i've been a a, a member of the competitive circuit who's been well known to do well since i was about 16 uh i started oh, wow. right away like oh yeah yeah i started young but um i i have won i've traveled the world playing in various events i have played on etc on both team america and on team England. that's an international team competition for those of you who weren't aware um i've traveled all over the americas um literally every big gt there is i've gone to multiple times probably um and some of my more accomplished 
uh, accomplishments in this hobby are I've won Adepticon championships four times. I've won the Adepticon team tournament, which has a large hobby component twice. I've won the Nova Invitational three times. I've won LVO. I've also won the ITC in 2018. And I've won the ETC over in Europe twice as part of a winning team. And I've won ATC. So the resume is kind of stacked. But one of the things I'm most proud of in this 40K uh, hobby we all share is that I've also started my own brand, The Art of War, which is a 40K coaching service. And it's also a community of players who are like-minded and just want to come be, become better as a game. So I coach a lot of players who are constant GT goers who are trying to bring home that first place trophy and people who are just like, you know, I've never gone to a GT before. I've never gone to an RTT. I'm pretty scared. Don't know what it's like. Can you help me? You know, I, we help all. It's just a very positive outlook on 40K focused on people learning the game at a higher level. Right. You, uh, you've mentioned that a few times uh, at a higher level. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I think I have an understanding of what is that, that's just basically, um, uh, without the definition of it, I want to say people who are just really good at the, the game, uh, really good sure, at the rules. Yeah. Uh, they, they know the intricacies and they keep up to date with everything. Would you right. Say and I can make a million analogies. Like let's compare it to sports, for example. Um, I'm sure everyone here knows soccer or, or like football if you're European, um, as a sport. So you can know how to play it. Like you could be an eighth grader playing with your friends and just kicking a ball around trying to score some goals. And then you can be competitive with it like a, a university or college athlete who's quite good at it and knows the strategy and the tactics, know, knows what the positions are, knows specific tactics and tricks you can do with the ball and how to move. And then you could be a professional at it where you know, you're going to the World Series and making millions of dollars playing soccer or football. Right. Um, so there's tiers to it, of course, and that's no different for you. You could be throwing models down in your basement, just playing a 50 power level game, or you could be on the higher end using super complicated tactics and strategies and understanding the minutia of all the rules interactions and really going that extra step with it. So you, the way you choose to enjoy the hobby is completely up to you. But if you're interested in getting better at the game strategically and tactically, that's where we try to help you. So if you were to break down your uh, uh, you as a gamer and a, and a hobbyist, because you also paint the minis, you assemble the minis, and that's all part yeah. of it for you as well. Uh, right. How would you break it down percentage-wise for yourself? Like how much are you gameplay, competitive, lore, and hobby painting into those three categories? Where would you rank yourself? At the risk of upsetting all of the fans here, uh, I'm definitely a competitive player, first and foremost. Um, it is my job now. I'm a full-time 40K coach. Which is awesome, by the way. That's fantastic. Oh, I love hearing that, but that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Me too, dude. Um, so, yes, it's my full-time job, and being a coach is my full-time job. I kind of have to focus on the competitive aspect. I also find that aspect most enjoyable. So I would say there is where I spend the vast majority of my time. Um, then I am a painter slash hobbier, second um, I do a daily paint stream on the Art of War Twitch channel, um, where I literally sit down at 3 o'clock Eastern time and paint models and working on Sisters Army for the past three weeks. Um, and I paint all the armies I use. Like, I, I have a vast collection of armies now. I've been playing this game for 16 years, and I'm trying to literally collect all the armies to full because I want to get them on the stream for you guys as much as possible. And I want them to look nice and be pretty, so I'm really trying to up my hobby game so I have... Every single army. Every single army. Every single army. That's awesome. So everyone is. That's that's a goal of mine. That's that's a that's a lofty lofty goal considering all the 
the constant oh, new releases and I, it's not it's not easy <laughs> i mean <laughs> games workshop has been closed for some time due to the corona stuff so when they started shipping again to the us i had like a nice two thousand dollar g dubs to fix my plastic crack need but uh all that stuff has to get painted you know so we paint that and i, I don't commission any of my stuff because i like my money and also too i i enjoy painting i find it fun so and relaxing so I'm painting my stuffs. Lower aspect is probably the one I neglect the most. Um, I'm aware of what's going on in the 40k universes from a lore perspective, but I don't read like the Black Library books and stuff like that. Um, I'll only read the fluff part of the codexes, like in my spare time when I'm bored, type of thing. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll like have conversations with people who are interested in more because when you are as involved in the hobby as I am, you meet people with all sorts of interests. So that's kind of. Secondhand information, storytelling is basically where I get my lore knowledge. Right. Oh, that's that's fair. I mean, that that makes sense considering what you do. Uh, so, someone had a question. Uh, the, uh, their question was, as a, a casual gamer, how would you recommend transitioning to the competitive scene? Sure. Um, so it depends, like what level of casual gamer you are. Like, are you a type of guy who just plays like with your one buddy that you got in the game together with at your house? Do you have a local game store you can maybe get to and start playing with? Uh, I typically recommend that sort of thing. If there's a club nearby, if there's a, a ITC team, they'll typically are friendly and try to invite you. Maybe a league, something to get yourself exposed to other players and whoever you are. And if you're already at that step where you're playing with local strangers, that's what you need to do. Just keep that up. When you feel up to the task. Just go to an RTT. So it'll take a Saturday. Um, you know, get there early, expect to play the whole day, and then just play 40K for three games. Um, you might lose all three games. If you're new to competitive aspects, it's very likely you will lose all three games. That's totally okay. You'll probably play stuff you've never experienced. You'll probably meet people you would have never met. And it's about two things. One, learning and enjoying the game, because obviously if you're not having fun, what's the point? And then two, learning, so next time you'll get a little bit better. And two, and most importantly, it's about making friends and making connections. So presumably if you're going to a tournament, it's because you enjoy the competitive aspect or you're curious about it. And presumably all the other people at that tournament are also enjoying competitive aspect or are curious about it. So you already have something in common with all those people and you have a shared hobby. So make connections with them, make friends like that. And that will keep you coming back for more so you can get better and better and you want to. Right. I wouldn't be a 40K player if I didn't make as many friends as I did playing this game of like-minded mindsets. So that's really the easiest and most natural way to do it. You can't just force yourself to. Don't go to a super GT Nova LVO as your first ever tournament. You can, but you're very likely to shock yourself and overwhelm yourself. Um, I highly recommend just dipping your foot in the water slowly and making friends with it. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of like an easy transition, not a, okay, let's just overwhelm ourselves with uh, everything. Because right. that's got to be... So that actually gets me thinking, uh, because the meta changes all the time. All the time, yeah. <laughs> and so I imagine in your position, you're kind of in that, like less than 1% of the competitive players that are ahead of the meta and you almost create the meta because you're winning. Right. And, and then people change yeah. their lists according to what is won and then the meta changes and then you're ahead of that. Would you say right. that's that's accurate? Would you say that's, that's pretty accurate? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then there's got to be something I mean in like there's I don't know if there's a formula or if it's like uh is it your brain? Is it, uh, could anyone do that if they focused on it hard right. enough? Like, what is that? 
Like what's yeah, happening? That's, there? That's, a, that's a great question because it seems like such a far reaching concept for the vast majority of players. Like it's hard to get into the 1% of anything, but it's not 40 K is a game, which is totally attainable. You know, it's not a physical sport. Um, so like I can never be the 1% of NBA players, you know, I'm, I'm 5'11 and I'm Brown. I can't jump. So, you know, I, I just can't dunk a basketball. It's physically impossible. But your brain power is something different. So the more time you spend on something, the more analytical you are about it. Yeah. The more like you can just reach higher levels there. So that's there's no limit to your knowledge in 40k. It's just about the amount of time you want to put into it and how honest with yourself you are. That's one of the big things I coach with people is it's not your dice's fault you lost. It's your fault. Whether that's you wrote the bad list or you just played it wrong or you didn't understand the armies. That's all areas you can improve upon too. So that's great. Um, that's another thing it's, too. Like it, ultimately there's dice. So right. right. Well, you, people always say there's no such thing as competitive 40 K because there's that loss at, luck aspect. There's, that would be saying there's no such thing as competitive anything aside from like chess, because there's always a luck aspect. Like are you saying competitive poker is just a myth? Cause I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people who disagree. What about competitive football? Like the wind blows in one direction or the other. Like what do you do about that? Right. So the top level players aren't one are ones that know how to mitigate the impact of luck. Obviously, you're going to have to roll the dice. And if you just roll 300 ones on 300 dice, yeah, you're probably going to lose. But that's, you know, it's okay to lose a game every one in 10,000 times. You know, if you're trying to go 8 0 in a tournament, you're not worried about the, if I roll 300 ones on 300 dice kind of outliers. That's absurd. Right. You're, you're worried about like things like I see a lot of intermediate players to beginner players doing things that they're supposed to do without looking at the other side of the coin. So a perfect example is the concept of seize the initiative. I can't tell you how many times I've heard clients of mine or just players at a tournament, whoever whining like a little annoying kid when they lost because someone seized the initiative on them. Like I was so set up to win this game. And then the guy just rolled a six. I would have had him. It's like when top, that doesn't happen to top level players right. and not because our opponents don't roll sixes. I promise they do. It's because we come up with backup plans and, and levels to our strategy that accounts for if he sees this, this happens. If I fail this psychic power, that's really important. This happens. Right. And then when you when you account for those levels, you have a tiered, layered strategy. That's obviously much more complex, but that's how you get consistency. And you don't just lose to the die rolls because something went wrong in your plan. Right. Yeah. No, that actually makes sense. It it's actually sounds like chess where you're thinking many moves ahead. And you're making plans for what might happen. Absolutely, yeah. I, I compare 40k to chess a lot to my player to my friends who just don't know what 40k is. Right. Uh, that's really cool. Um, so, all right, now let's get into the, some of the armies. Uh, so, you said you collect all armies. Now, just to be clear, is this only 40k? Do you are you into Age of Sigmar at all, or is it just 40k for you? So, I, I used to play Warhammer Fantasy back when that was a game. Um, I really enjoyed that at Tomb Kings and I, yeah, that's when I was younger. So I didn't have like a vast collection of armies there. Um, and then I wasn't a big fan of eighth edition fantasy, uh, kind of got too over the top for me. So I transitioned to being more of a 40k player. And then when Age of Sigmar happened, I was like, I just don't care about this. I have dabbled in Age of Sigmar. I played it a couple times, um, pr primarily in seventh edition when 40k was not so hot. I was messing around with Age of Sigmar. I played War Machine. I've played Dragon Ball Z, the card game. I've, I've messed around with other games, but as 40k has become my career at this point, I definitely only care to play one game competitively, and I'll play a lot of other games just super casually on the side. Okay, yeah, so that's the one you focus on. So, right. so about the armies, uh, you, I imagine that you play all armies according to what is winning 
and what you have crafted to win at the at that time. Is that is that accurate? You're changing your army all the time. Um, to yes and no. So there, this has gotten me in trouble over the past years, and this is me evolving myself as a player. Um, there's a huge misconception that whenever a new release happens, that's going to be the new hotness. You got Codex hot, creep, meta, yeah. Codex creep, all that stuff. And there's a degree of validity to it. Oftentimes, a new Codex is powerful. There is a novelty factor. There is the fact that your opponent has no clue what your rules do realistically, so you can probably leverage his inexperience to an advantage somewhere. I'm not saying gotchas and, and rules abuse. I'm just saying like seeing is one thing, playing it is another. Right. Um, but just because I have all the armies at my fingertips doesn't mean I just play literally the best list all the time. And I'm not doing that as a handicap per on purpose or because I'm, I have a secret agenda of I want to play all the armies to show off that I can. Um, I tried that, believe it or not, last year. I was like, well, if I just have all the armies, I'll just play whatever is the best, and then I will do awesome with it. And I found myself last year having one of my worst seasons as a competitive 40K player where I, I consistently went 4-1, and 5-1, and one, et cetera, major tournaments where I would normally win those things. Um, and I finished, like I think, 10th in ITC or something, which the year before I had won it. So obviously that's a steep decline. Right. Um, and the reason being that you have to practice with an army. And like even someone at my caliber, which can quote nearly every single rule in the game to you like a freaking encyclopedia, you still have to know all of the interactions and all the synergies to the super technical level, which this is if you're trying to win like Nova Open, LVO, that kind of stuff. So right. it's just when you're a local RTT, you probably don't need to know it this well. But to chase the meta is actually a mistake, I find. Uh, now, you have to be aware of the meta. You have to be aware of how everything is changing, how other people's armies are going to be adapting. Yeah. But it's better, I find, to really master your own army, assuming your army is one that has the tools to compete, even if it's not the bleeding edge competitive than it is to swap to whatever is the newest, greatest hotness. Interesting. So if I were to ask you, what is the most, what's the strongest army? Is that a loaded yeah. question? Is that like, there is really no strongest army. It's just, I play this army the best. Is that really the answer? So there's, there's theoretical play and there's practical play there. Um, it's somewhat of a loaded question because for example, let's take Richard Siegler. For those of you who aren't aware who he is, he's the current ITC champion and as of right now, he's ranked number one in the world. He came in out of nowhere last year, basically not playing 40K at all to winning the entire IT season, winning Nova Open, LVO, and Pro Tabletop, a lot of other major events. Uh, kid's a wonder boy. Point is, he plays predominantly one specific play style, which is a very defensive board control type play style. And play, knowing your play style also factors in hugely to what you should be playing. So don't just chase the meta if it doesn't match with what your play style is. Right. And then two, he almost always plays Tau. So Tau is not the greatest army in the world. He's probably still going to be playing Tau and kicking everyone's butt with it. But that doesn't mean it's the greatest army in the world. So there's the theoretical, like if every army is played super optimally, there might be a best army. There might be two best armies or something like that. Um, but that doesn't mean that's the best army for you to take to a tournament, which is something I had to learn the hard way. Right. So then, okay. Uh, you know how some people are just, uh, they're synonymous with a certain army. It's like, oh, I know this guy. He's a... He's a chaos player. He's a right, right. he's a Tau player. So what are you? What would you be known for the most? For the so other? I would have been known as a chaos player since I, I pretty much made my claim to fame through 5th, 6th, and 7th edition, all almost exclusively playing chaos. That's um, music to my ears, by the way. I love hearing that. That's, that's... I, I mean, we're on the chaos shrine, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I was a big demon fan. I always love chaos's creativity. There's You can't tell a demon what to be. You know, it is what it is. Um, 
from a play style standpoint, also from a, from a lore standpoint, or from just like a modeling standpoint, I can get so creative with it. I loved every aspect of it. And they, they played unlike any of the army for so long. Um, since 8th edition, I find the demons as a codex kind of bland. I can branch out into the vast majority of chaos, but since stepping into being a pro 40k player as my profession, I've needed to really learn the other factions to a higher degree. Right. So I've been spending the past couple of years doing that, which now I honestly wouldn't identify as a player of a specific faction. I'm a very unique case here where I can just pick up and play literally any faction, which you see me do on Twitch, on my Twitch channel. I literally play a different faction every single week. That's awesome. Uh, which it makes sense though. I mean, uh, I mean, you are deliberately learning every rule of every army and that's right. what your focus is, which, which makes sense, which is really awesome. If you, you gotta, I mean, props to you for being, I gotta say being born with that ability to retain that, <laughs> the, the rules because some people will try their hardest. And I imagine that it would be, it's, it, you know, it's, I don't just read a codex and know every rule. I don't have a photographic memory. It's very much a, you read it and then there's a lot of trend analyses. So like a space brain codex is very, very similar to a dark angel codex with a few differences. So all you really have to remember is those few differences. Right. Um, and that's true across a lot of the books. Now, the ones that are tougher are like orcs because they don't really have a codex like anybody else's. That's one you actually just have to learn the hard way. But the game also hasn't changed so much over the course of forever that I've been playing 16 years. So yes, the, the mechanics have changed and points costs have changed and stat lines have changed. But an orc boy ultimately is, does the same thing an orc boy does as he has for the past 15 years. So once you learn it, it, it as long as you keep using it, you're going to know it. And I'm sure this is the case for anybody who has like a career or a profession, like in whatever field, you just get good at it because you've been doing it for so long. That's really what it is. It's not, I'm not going to say it's easy. It is time consuming, but if it's not something unattainable for most people. Right. Yeah. Cause you, you focus your time on this. And, right. And how many games a week would you say you play? So this, this always gets everybody. Most people think I'm a machine just playing 40K nonstop. No, I have, I, I, I try to let, not let 40K in my life. Like I go on dates, I hang out with friends, I go to bars, I go to pool parties, all kinds of stuff. That's good to hear too. I'm <laughs> glad to hear yeah, yeah. Right, right. No, I'm not a machine here. Um, I, there, there's different times in my life. So there's been times in my life, like the entire four year period I was at college, I played I didn't play. I only went to tournaments here and there when there was a tournament with going to, and I like didn't practice at all. And I like I still read 40k. Like I read new codexes that came out. I like kept up with little internet stuff. So I have people, mostly my friends, play 40k. So I would talk with them and learn off of their ideas, glean some information. So in a way, that was what I used to practice back then. Since going professional, I probably play on average two games a week, um, which is I, I think it's reasonable. Um, and you're switching them up all the time. Yeah, it's a different army like every week. Now, if there's a giant tournament I need to care about, like LVO coming up, I'll probably be playing like way more, like four or five, six games a week, or I'll have a practice weekend where I play like six games in one weekend type of thing. But that's only direct practice like you would as an athlete practice before your your event, you know? That's okay, kind of... I got to ask because I'm curious. When you're practicing and you're playing yeah. against your buddies or whoever, mm -hmm. I guess, maybe at a gaming club. Uh, yeah. They, because they know they're fighting you, right? And so they're like, "Oh yeah. man, like I know you're practicing for the upcoming LVO, so you're gonna slaughter me. So I gotta, I gotta like bring it up as best as I can because it has to be a challenge for you. So like, what what happens there? Do, do they? Okay. So, so there's a. This is something I've definitely struggled with in the past. Um, so while I was becoming a stronger player, while I, while I was developing a name for myself and really going to LVO and like 
like putting on a good show, that kind of thing. Um, I would go to a local game store and just play local guys. And there's different ways you can practice against people who aren't up to your caliber. You can help them. This is something I love doing. I love coaching my opponents during the game. So if I see them making unoptimal move choices and stuff, I'll try to explain to them like, okay, this isn't going to work because X, Y, Z. Maybe try this approach instead. In a, in a way, you are kind of playing yourself, but you're not because it's still another person there. And then right. also they're getting something out of it. Um, that's my preferred way of playing someone while I'm still trying to get out of it. I also, I always assume the worst for myself and always assume the best for my opponent when I make practice games. So sometimes um, if I'm playing a practice game and I, something stupid happens, like I fail a four-inch charge, um, I won't... <laughs> I'll just like hold myself to failing that four charge. And you, a lot of you are probably saying like, duh, you failed it. But like, that's not how you practice. You practice under certain pretenses, like, cause you're trying to learn the interactions right. more so than you are trying to determine the winner of that specific game. Right. So, but yeah, I'm going to play on hard mode because at LVO, if I fail a four inch charge, I failed the four inch charge. No one's let me take that back. Right. But my opponent fails a four inch charge and you know, that was going to be pretty relevant. I'll be like, you know, buddy, just, just, do it and then like he might be reluctant because like no it's not fair i won't ask that of you but i'll try to ease him into feeling comfortable with that and then he makes the charge and i don't and all of a sudden we're playing i'm playing with hard mode he's playing with training wheels that kind of thing because it's got we got to make up the skill difference in some capacity here that, uh, that actually reminds me of uh street fighter uh playing as a yeah. kid and you'd like change the dip uh, the the handicaps <laughs> yeah right <laughs> uh, which i mean which, which makes sense and i guess there's a couple things happening there there's one you're practicing kind of fighting yourself and beating yourself and also helping your opponent at the same time. And they're learning tricks Well, not tricks, but like uh, techniques learning. and tactics, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And so you do, you, I can see how you would certainly benefit from that because not only are they doing that, but you're also assisting them. So there's stuff that's being thrown at you that you may not necessarily see. And right. Then, because if I'm playing myself and I've done it before, it's not the same because I literally am playing myself. Right. When someone else is piloting. I don't just sit there and correct every move they do. Yeah. I just, if I see them doing something egregiously wrong, I'm like, all right, buddy, let's fix that. Right. But, or if they're doing something not 100% optimal, like if you're trying to trap something close combat, which I saw Scarry put out an article on the mini war game just the other day. Um, if they don't know how to trap something, I'll help them out. Now you trap something. Now you learned how to trap, and I got trapped like I would at a normal tournament, and here we are. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so on that, about your. Uh play style so what is your play style what kind of player are you i personally um am super defensive passive reactive i i love to see what my opponent's doing and just counter it i never want to be the guy this is just me personally i never want to be the guy who's putting all of my cards on the table and just being like deal with me or don't like i'm not the guy who brings three knights to the table and just say this is raw power can you kill it i'm the guy who's bringing a battle force and it's like i can use this melted gun over here in this tax squad to make this like 11 step plan combo thing work or something like that. Okay. That's my style. So what, what kind of player do you learn best from? Uh, that's a great question. So if someone, and then Richard Siegler is an amazing example. He's, I now live with him down here in Florida, but um, so we get to play all the time and this is two top level players. So we get a lot out of it. He does my style almost identically to the way I do it. So it's almost like fighting a mirror of yourself, right. which I found super interesting because it's not literally myself. So yeah. it's not rigged anyway. It's not biased. And he might do something I don't see coming. Right. But it's very much 
it's it's like fighting yourself in the mirror. It's very interesting because everything you do is he's also doing and vice versa. So you have to figure out a way just to break the mold to get an advantage there. And then the opposite style, which is my other roommate, Mark Perry, who also lives here down in Florida with me. We're both all our war coaches. Um, he is the entire opposite. He plays all in, all out. And I'm not saying he plays three nights, just here's all my cards on the table. But he's whereas I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable sitting in the back six inches of my deployment zone, hiding in a corner for a lot of the game. Mark is perfectly comfortable blitzing you with his entire army, like Rhino Rush or just deep striking drop pods in your face or whatever have you. He's just blitzing you. And that's like solving a puzzle to me. Like, how do I handle 28 threats in my face all at once? So both extremities, I think, is where I learned the most. Yeah, okay. Uh, are there any type of uh, players than the, uh, the obvious two that you mentioned, would you say? Or is that basically it? You're one or the no, other? No, there's other players. Like, there's a lot of great players in 40K, and I could lose to any one of them given the day. You know, It's going to come down to who makes a couple die rolls here or who didn't understand this interaction. They're very high-level, minute stuff, but like that's what it's going to come down to. And it'll be like a, a 20 to 19-point game when someone just wins by one. That you know, Sean Naden plays a very similar style to Mark Perry where it's just janky rules and aggro assault stuff. Brad Chester is one of my buddies on Art of War, and he's been one of my friends on the ETC Team America forever. He plays just like a a very solid game plan. I don't know how to describe it. Just like everything you're supposed to do, he won't miss a beat. He's just going to execute like a freaking computer. Hmm. Um, Manny Chima over across the pond, for those of you who heard of him from Glasshammer Gaming, is one of my former teammates on Team England when I played for them. He just writes the most efficient as possible. Like He's the guy who's just like, Matt says this is good, take 2,000 points of it, kill you. And it's like... Yeah, well, a calculator might arrive to that conclusion where that's the best possible thing. Yeah. It's my job to figure out the weaknesses on the actual table and outplay you as a person. So that kind of there's a lot of different styles to play 40k with. So, uh, like poker, how much is 40k competitive play playing your opponent? A lot and a little. How much um, of it I'm, is psychological? Yeah, I'm I'm mediocre at best at poker, so I don't want to directly compare it to poker because I really don't know. But. Um, I would say you're not psychologically playing your opponent as far as gotcha rules, um, because I, I don't condone those in any capacity. I want to make my opponent fully aware of all the things I can do to him, right. um, mostly out of honor, but also it's just a nice thing to do. It's just the right way to play 40K, in my opinion. But there's also an element to making your opponent aware of all the things you can do. So here's, here's an example. Um, I was coaching a client on it earlier. So... A very common competitive list for Grey Knights is centered around a unit of 10 Paladins that can use Astral Lane to shoot through walls and use Cybolt Ammunition to blast the crap out of you. And then Chaos, on the flip side, has a unit of Possessed. It's a very common unit, um, which is like a Death Star type of unit where you put all your buffs into it, it kills everything. Um, and it uses the Conceal Stratagem from Alpha Legion to avoid being shot. Basically just means you pop in your shooting phase and your opponent can't shoot you unless you're the closest visible target. Like a character. Just, like a character. Yeah. So Grey Knights can get around this because they have a psychic power that lets you shoot in the psychic base. So I can't use my Conceal Strategy, so they can just shoot me, ignore line of sight, and blow up all my Possessed, and I can't do a thing about it. Right. My only chance of doing something about it is denying his psychic power right. or forcing him to not go for it. So what I will do to my opponent as the Chaos player in that instance is make him abundantly aware that I'll have like Armon or some other caster very, very at the front of my army. Um, and be like, okay, this guy has plus one to deny. So if you try to cast in his deny range, I will have a better chance of denying it. Right. 
And then I'll make it so that, okay, his guns are 24 inches. I have a 24 inch knife. So that's, that matches up fairly well. So if he's trying to shoot past my character and get into my possessed, he's going to naturally have to be in the nine range. So I'll make him very well aware where it's like, you can go for this play where you astral aim and uh, shoot in the psychic face and kill off my possessed and probably win the game right there. But there's essentially a 50-50 chance I just deny it. And then if I deny it and you botch your psychic phase and then I just kill your paladins, you're going to lose the game right there. So it's almost like game theory played above the table where I'm making sure my opponent and I understand the interactions where it's like, if you go for it and it works, I will lose. If you go for it and it doesn't work, you will lose. Or we could both agree to just not go for it and then we play a nice tactical game of 40K. Interesting. Now, obviously, the decision point is on my opponent. If he goes for it, he goes for it. I don't have a say in the matter. But it, I can at least make him very aware of this interaction and see what he does. That's interesting. So it's very open book. It's very... It's very- yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, in fact, uh, what it sounds like is that gotcha moments are very frowned upon. And they're uh, so frowned upon. Yeah. I, they're like, I'm literally going out of my way to explain to my opponent how I'm going to beat him, hoping he doesn't do moves at me. Right. Yeah. Cause you want to win, you want to win, uh, knowing that he knew. And that's it's yeah. just a more, I imagine it's more satisfying. Like, if you look at chess, there's like 12 rules in chess, just how the pieces move. Yeah. And opposite the queen rule. Right. So, no, there's no knowledge gap. You just know everything you can do. If you don't see something coming because your opponent had an 84-step plan and you had an 83-step plan, well, you lost fair and square. You just got outplayed. Right. And that's the way you want to win 40K. I don't want to get you because you didn't know on page 68 of my Harlequin Codex I had this stratagem. Like, no, that's absurd. Just make your opponent aware of your rules. And don't, you, you, know, you don't have to tell every rule all the time to your opponent. You're, that's just annoying and stupid. Read some context clues and be a social human and... If you see your opponent going for something that you have a strategy to screw over or something, make him wear your strategy and let him take his move back, like in the movement phase before it's too late. Right. Yeah. So it's like, just so you're aware, I do have this stratagem. Uh, so this is a potential right. that could be. So the hero yeah. convention example, I mean, with baseballs, you see some guy measuring 3.1 from your character, so he's not in the <laughs> range. Maybe tell him he got six inch hero intervention. You know, it seems That's like army wide, isn't it? Yeah. 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 It is. Which is pretty, it's nuts, actually. I it's a really good goal. Yeah. Space, I played Space Wolves recently, and it was wow. I actually uh, I used Alpha Legion against Space Wolves, so um, I was I used the conceal on my Havocs, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, he also had a stratagem that ignored uh, special rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was like ah, okay. Uh, I guess they're not Alpha Legion right now. Well, at least that unit wasn't. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, it, it was it's fun. So okay, so talking specifically about chaos now. Uh, okay. So, because that's that's where my uh, the desires of my heart are. Of course, of course, mine too, mine too. <laughs> uh, so, if I were to, let's say, uh, and this is, I guess, this might even mirror what people might ask you if they were, uh, if you were coaching them. And so, mm-hmm. uh, I play Black Legion. So, how does that work? Do I say, Nick, what is the best Black Legion army? Or uh, I want to have a better black army or a black legion army. Uh, how do I go about doing that? Like, uh, what's how, what's that process? I get all kinds of coaching clients from different levels of the game and different ways of talking to people. So I kind of try to first gauge your skill level. So if you're like Nick, write me the best black legion list there is. I'm like, okay. Um, why do you want the best black legion list there is? And then I help you identify your goals. So if your goals is to go win LVO with black legion. Then I'll, can, I'll explain to you, you're confusing your goals. You're, you're, when your goal is to play Black Legion, do the best you can, or your goal is to win LVO, because they're not 
one and the same. Right. If you're trying to win the OBL, play the best thing you can possibly get your hands on. Which isn't Black and, Legion. Which isn't Black Legion. <laughs> no. If it's if you're trying to play Black Legion to the best of your ability, okay, but then let's tamper your expectations. I'll give you different styles and different strengths and weaknesses because not power subjectivity isn't just like this is stronger than that. No, it's it's a it's a conversation, it's a debate, it's it's a beauties in the eye of beholder kind of thing. So I can write you a list about Black Legion Possessed. I can write you a list about Black Legion Hordes with Abaddon. It all depends. So I'll help you identify your play style, what's going to mesh with you, and what are your goals. Like if your goal is just play the most raw power with Black Legion, okay, I can figure out what the most raw power is for Black Legion. Just give it to you. If you are trying to develop as a player and do it with Black Legion, you might not even know that, but I will help you identify that. Interesting. And then... um, it's like, okay, what's your play style? You're super aggressive. I could build you something super aggressive that'll feel natural to you. Or I could give you something super defensive. You're going to lose a lot, but it'll make you a more well-rounded player. It depends what your goals are here. Are you trying to get better at the game? Or are you trying to win your little RTT and then throw the Black Legion army in the trash can? Like, what are you trying to do? Right. And ultimately, my job as a coach is to help, is to figure out what you want and then help you achieve those goals. So a lot of players don't know what they want or at least can't articulate what they want. So it's me, it's on me to dig it out of them. Okay. So in my case, let's see, my goal is to create the most entertaining game and that if you were to watch, if, watch it as a bystander, you would be entertained by it. Uh, and so it's not definitely not to create the most competitive thing. That's not what I'm about. That's not what there are channels about. Uh, right, right. And so I guess it would be more along the lines of how can I best use Black Legion uh, and maximize their uh, potential as an army? Uh, if there's obvious things that are in there, what what could I right? What could I include? So then I would say, from an entertainment standpoint, you're going to want to include things that are flashy and large, which also aren't that competitive typically, but that's okay. What what, what, consist- what does that mean? Is Defi flashy um, and large? Is what a Defi? Is my defiler? Is he oh, defiler? Um, yeah, that'd be something flashy and large. Like it's a cool model, but it's ultimately not that competitive because sometimes you just get shot by two last cans, failure saves, he rolls box cards for damage, and you're dead. So we can't say it too loud though; he's gonna hurt his feelings. I know, I know, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I know it's true. Cool. I know it's people true. like defilers. So, like, I would include that as part of your goal because you're trying to make something entertaining, and that's running something flashy and large is entertaining. People like that. Then I would also say you want to make use of what makes Black Legion unique. What's characteristic to that army? What is its soul? So, one of the coolest rules Black Legion has is they have a strategy that lets a unit be all four marks of chaos. That's cool because you can stack a bazillion different rules onto a unit by making it all four marks. You can have a unit of obliterators shooting twice from Sinesh and having minus one to hit it from Nurgle and then fighting twice in close combat with Korn. I don't know. You can make really cool combinations. So Terminators are a much more play all phases of the game kind of unit than obliterators. So, you know, they could come down, shoot a million combi bolters twice, charge with their chain axes and power fists and fight twice. Like, it's cool. So something like right. that is where I would also do it. Then you probably also want to run something iconic like Abaddon, who just happens to also be competitive, but there's no way you're running an entertaining Black Legion list that doesn't have Abaddon. Right. Yeah, you got to have him there. What are your What are your thoughts on the Chaos Lord with Gorsvex's teeth? All right, I'm terrible at names in 40k. So he's so. the uh, he's like the uh, mortal wound the farming mortal chainsaw um, guy. Yeah, yeah. So in a in a vacuum of competitiveness. He competes with all the other warlord traits that you have to take across. Yeah, you have options to take across your your army. 
So he often gets outshined because you need more synergistic Willow traits rather than just a beat stick. But in the context of the Black Legion list, I think he's great. He hits so hard, and mortals are a great tool to have. So he's and he's cool. So you know, run that guy. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And Lord's Discordant. Lord Discordants are awesome. I mean, they they hit like ten thousand attacks. What, what more do I need to say? And they're fast. They're actually kind of tough to kill because they have a two up armor save. I like them. Big fan. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading some stuff on them recently. And uh, there's a rule that I forgot, actually, and that's that they have their um, the plus one to hit affects themselves. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so uh, the their, the death of the false emperor is even better. And then you can cast Prussians on it. Obviously, it hits right. on Tuesday, but now you're triggering death of the false emperor on fives. Typically, when you see Disco Lords, they're uh, in flawless host attachments because flawless hosts trigger extra, extra hits on sixes, and then it'll be extra hits on fives. With, that's uh, right. It was actually Flawless Host that I was reading. Yeah. yeah, it was like generally speaking, when you see Disco Lords, it's in that detachment. There's reasons to take Disco Lords in other detachments, but typically they're like one ofs, not like an attachment of three Disco Lords. Right. Um, so it depends what type of list you're building. Yeah, uh, and he also makes Daffy a little better too, so that that always helps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotta love that guy. Okay, so one of the rules that I play by uh, in games, uh, 40k games, and on games on camera is the rule of corn, which is. I feel like I win the game, even if I don't win the game by points. But if I killed a lot, I feel like I've won. <laughs> sure, and, sure. and like it actually pains me to go for objectives over charging guys and, right. and killing them. So, <laughs> uh, so knowing that, uh, what are your thoughts on world eaters? And so it's, it's funny you say that because we actually had world eaters on our Twitch channel just the other day. Okay. And I think world eaters are actually quite competitive right now. Really. Now, I don't think mono world eaters is like that top tier competitive, but if you're willing to splash in just like a word bearers battalion or something like that, or thousands of just anything to give you access to work time impressions, all of a sudden you're, you're a top tier army and you can still play majority like Raptors and warp talons and corn berserkers just blitzing your opponent. It's cool. Right. And you can still affect those guys with pressions. With psychic powers. Yeah. And that's really where the threat comes in. That's that elevates them to a new level because world leaders have a couple things. They have a stratagem, that lets them get to, to the false emperor against any enemy, not just Imperium. So obviously that's why you want pressure so you can trigger it on fives. And now you're just getting 10,000 attacks. Oh to my you. goodness. Yeah. That's, but uh, okay. So for the lore players that they would never do it because it's like, <laughs> I know, I know. No, Dude, it, that's, just the, that's something I, I, you have to come in terms with. And you don't have to, like, if you don't, if you want to play and recreate the battles, like the fluff, be my guest, like, enjoy the hobby way you want to. But if you want, if you're looking from the more competitive aspect, this is how to get the more competitive aspect. And I got to be honest, uh, I have never had that thought before because in my mind, it's like an automatic filter. It's like, oh, cool. Okay. No psychic. Like I, I didn't even yeah, know. Yeah. I didn't even right. think about that. Yeah, right. It makes See, sense rules wise. But me, that's like the world leaders have a rule that says they can't be affected by psychic powers. No, no. <laughs> right. Or time pressure. Perfect. They're just staples of competitive chaos lists. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So Karn then speaking of world leaders, thoughts on Karn. I mean, he's he's Karn. He just he destroys everything. He's not quite the most competitive choice because ultimately he's like 160 points, I think. Yeah. He might have gone down. Um, it's around there. Yeah, and uh, he doesn't hit much harder than a unit of Berserkers. I mean, he's got better AP and better damage, but like 10 Berserkers for or like 9 Berserkers for 160 versus Karn. 9 Berserkers are, I don't know, like 8 times as many attacks. Yeah, so it's ridiculous. So get more value of eight models than one model that are obsec and also filling a troop slot yeah right but he's just so much fun to bring <laughs> i mean i'm not telling you not to bring card i'm just trying to be objective here right 
And he uh, kills his own guys. <laughs> and he kills his own guys. That's what you want. You want blood for the blood god. So out of all the uh, the Chaos Legions, uh, which one would you say is... Uh, I don't want to say currently most competitive. I want to just say, in general, most competitive. So Chaos as a, as a super faction is the most interesting I find to build lists with because all of their strategies and synergies competitively are cross-faction. And by that I mean... Demons have a lot of synergy based around the demon keyword. Yeah. Um, and then there's units within the Chaos Space Marine Codex, like Possessed, like Obliterators, like Warp Towns, that all have the demon keyword. So you can use like the demon loci from the Nurgle Demon book or a Nurgle Demon attachment to affect your Possessed and give them extra damage or something like that. Um, Thousand Suns, most of their spells, um, like Warp Time Impressions, you can use Thousand Suns casters to get extra bonus range and bonuses to cast, and then cast them onto your Heracles Astarte stuff really easily. So when you start cross-contaminating all your books is when you get your most competitive faction, but that's not any one legion. If I had to pick one specific thing in Chaos to be a mono standalone, this is awesome codex, I would say Thousand Suns because they do play in every single phase of the game, which is very powerful, and they're very durable, and with the myriad of teleporting ability this they have through Dark Matter Crystal, Deep Strike, and Cult of Duplicity, they can very easily make up the mobility that you need to win the game. Interesting. So you would say that they're most competitive? If you're going for a single book, yeah. Yeah, single book. Yeah, all three phases is a big deal. Especially yeah. for guys like Gazgol. Right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons to interact because also a lot of armies, just competitively speaking, have really great durability from shooting because maybe they're abusing the character keywords so that you're limiting the amount of things that can actually shoot your opponent by hiding stuff out of sight and then using characters that can't be shot at. People are immune to the combat phase sometimes by just taking a whole bunch of flying Tau battle suits that have crazy Overwatch and just leave when you charge them, and then. Other armies are immune to like the psychic phase because they like brought Sisters of Silence or Galexuses or something. So being able to, all right, you're immune to the combat phase. Well, I'm just going to shoot you instead. Or, oh, you're hiding characters out of line of sight. I'm going to try to smite spam those guys. It's having the ability to flow with the way your opponent's going and kind of mix your strengths against his weaknesses. That's where you get really competitive interactions. Yeah. I, okay, so we got some comments here. Um, yeah. So let's see. We have... So how do you think GW, this is from Josh Clark, he says, how do you think GW uh, could balance the addition from a shooty slash mortal wound edition to a more balanced melee slash shooty slash mortal wound edition? So um, I think they need to decrease the amount of potent ignores line of sight in the game. Um, they have done wonders to it by doing the space ring nerf, but the fact that I could still take three thunder fires as an attachment for 350 points or whatever, it's a little too powerful because it means it's not interactive shooting. I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to get shot for six turns. And that's that's a real big wrench in the combat player's plans. Now, that said, I have a whole spiel on how the game is. That's a huge misconception as well. The game isn't a shooting slash mortal wound one and not a combat one. The game is largely won and lost by holding objectives and accomplishing certain tasks based on your movement. So... Shooting and combat and mortal wounds and psychic phase, they're all means to an end. They're all just mechanisms to deal damage to your opponent so that you can then safely grab objectives. But ultimately, grabbing objectives, also known as board control, is what wins you the game. So which way you choose to do damage is neither here nor there. All that matters is that you stand on the objectives. Right. This is from uh, Pregnant Mongoose. 
how much I love the name. <laughs> <laughs> how much do you think it's a case of certain lists are how much do you think it's a case of certain lists are just the strongest, like say Raven Guard, Centurions, versus certain lists having good matchups against other lists? Um so there's when top players build their lists, they don't just accept I mean, most I don't. Um, they don't just accept auto losses or like this is a really bad match that I probably won't win. There are ways to beat Raven Guards and Cherians. There are ways to beat Tau. There's ways to beat Elders. Ways to beat Chaos within your specific faction most of the time. And if there isn't, that's a fundamental weakness to your faction. So if you're trying to ble do bleeding edge competitive play, you probably need to switch factions. Generally speaking, the game is healthy right now, so you can probably play almost any faction win. And it's about thinking outside the box. So for example, I've been running a lot of Tyranids lately, and most players will tell you Tyranids are garbage against Raven Guard. I mean, Raven Guard Centurion spam has 10,000 Hurricane Bolter shots, and Tyranids are a horde army. They have uh, super duper Overwatch because they have 11 inch flamers, so you can't even charge them. And then, even if you do charge them, like things like Gene Seeders, really just bounce off Centurions. But if you know how to play the match and think about it outside the box a little bit, you can use the movement phase as a Tyranid player to really dictate where the Raven Guard players can go and then just destroy them on the objectives. And it's not like it's from a tactical standpoint, it is perfectly viable to lose most of your army and still win the game. And that's a valid strategy. Right. Um, it's just not points accrued. So Tyranids as a faction, for example, literally throw their army away at the other guy to just stall him and move block him and just keep him busy while you're just running around with the scoreboard. I will finish games with Tyranids with under 200 points left to my opponent's 1,200 points and be up 35 to 15 on the scoreboard. Awesome. Wow. So that actually reminds me of Corn Demonkin back in the day. Yeah, yeah it's very similar your guys. Yeah, so did you play that army at all? When I dabbled with it, yeah. Did you like it? Yeah, I mean, it was awesome. I do like those armies where you, you come up with, like, backwards ways of winning, and sometimes it's just suiciding your stuff. It's, like, fun for me. I don't know. Yeah, it felt very Corn, and I hope it comes back. Yeah, I know. My buddy Marks, uh, my roommate, he loves corn. He's trying. He's he like desperately wants corn to make it back. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure there's a. Uh, well, no, there is a huge crowd that wants. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so let's see. Uh, so here's a question about missions at tournaments versus missions in the book. How often do you okay. how often do you play missions in the book? I personally don't even know what they are. I literally don't play missions in the book. I had a sneaking um, suspicion that that might have been the case. Yeah, some sometimes I get clients and order one stuff. They're like, "So, what do you think of this chapter approved mission?" I'm like, can, "Can you tell me where to find it?" Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, I, I focus mostly on tournament 40k. Yeah, well, that that makes five. sense. That actually makes sense. Uh, and so. On that on that note, do you think the GW should? I mean, it's interesting because I mean the ITC is is there. It's a thing. Uh, it wouldn't be in GW's best interest, I don't think, for them to create their own. Right. Uh, that would replace it because I, right. they're doing such a great job at it. It makes no sense. Uh, right. But it's interesting that they didn't do it in the first place. Uh, I, well, I think that's. Uh... To get into the history of the game, this is something that someone who's been playing for 16 years, probably like you, Dave, can teach. But from the tournament side, Games Workshop many years ago just stopped tournaments. They used to run Hard Boys, they used to run Grand Tournaments, Games Days, all that stuff that acknowledged the competitive aspect. They used to have missions and stuff too. Right. And then they just stopped. 
whether that not was a business decision for financial reasons or if that was just a strategic decision on a different direction they want to take their company. I don't know. I don't work for them. But they they stopped. So that left a huge gap for the players like me who wanted Tournament 40K to exist. So it shattered the community into millions of different formats. There was the back in the old days, there was the INAT format, which is pre to the ITC. The Nova Open tried to kind of steamroll ahead with their own format. The ETC developed over in, in Europe. And then 10 million like Joe Schmo's Crab Shack formats opened up in their little RTTs right. at their stores. And when you have 25,000 different like formats all over the place, there's no unity. There's just a bunch of chaos running around, not the good kind. So ITC, Frontline Gaming, really stepped up and kind of put, tried to be a driving force in the community as far as we are going to make a tournament format. We are going to legitimize this. It took them years, yeah. literally years, to get as recognized as they are. Back when ITC first got started, it was very polarizing. A lot of the people on the West Coast, specifically where it got started, were like, ITC is great. A lot of people on the East Coast, Midwest, Europe are like, what the hell is this? Why would I do that? So... um. And then there was essentially a format war, like Nova and ITC used to be considered equally dominating formats within America. ETC was its own beast over in England and Europe. Now ITC has kind of won that format war. Like Nova still exists and it's still, you know, part of Nova as an, as an event, but right. it largely only exists within Nova itself. Same right. with the Depticons format only exists within Depticon itself. No one else plays it outside of that event. Or as ITC has played across the nation, and now it's entering that European territory where, like, they play ITC almost exclusively in Australia, and a little bit of ETC format there, and then ETC and ITC are fairly split amongst Europe now, which is huge. Mm -hmm. So, the reason Games Workshop didn't um, isn't doing their own thing, which I guess was the initial question, isn't running their own format, is because they didn't do it to begin with, or they did and they stopped because of the different direction they took the company created this gap for the ITC to come in and kind of fill the void. And now Games Workshop got a new CEO, I think as of two or three years ago. They have turned that ship around. Games Workshop is doing great as a company. I'm a big fan. And they're trying to get more and more involved in the tournament scene. Like they're going to Nova and LVO and Adepticon. They're doing live streams. They're interacting with the tournament community. They have play testers now. They're acknowledging it with the Warhammer community and chapter approved and, and monthly updates and uh, FAQs. But there's no reason to fight ITC, like you said. Like ITC is doing such a great job. Just let them do a great job. So did they miss the boat four, five, six years ago? Yeah, they did. But they're salvaging it now at least. Yeah, they're supporting it. And it's it's working in their favor, I believe. I believe that it drives model yeah, sales. I, I think there's it's empirical data on that when you look at things that are sold out as opposed to like when Codex is released, Centurions were broken. And then Centurions were sold out. There's, that's just data. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And and it's interesting. It's almost a good thing that it happened that way just because it's it's an organic growth that happened because of love of the game. Absolutely. The one yeah. thing I always attribute that Games Workshop does tremendously well, I don't even think they meant to do it, but they've fallen into it and have really leveraged it. They 40K is not a hobby like most hobbies are hobbies. 40K becomes a lifestyle very mm -hmm. quickly. And then once something is your lifestyle, you can't just quit. Mm -hmm. It's like a drug. It's who you are. So you're, you're in. Once you're in, you're in. That's kind you're of that. That's yeah. how it goes. Yeah. Would you say that there's an element of uh, uh, obsession is maybe a strong word, but uh, like when you're looking at rules and stuff, it's like, do you obsess over the rules? Do you? Do you... Uh, I, I don't think of obsession. I think obsession is a strong word, but I definitely 
I, I think I'm on the rules. The way my brain works might not be the way everyone's brain works. I'm sure it's not. But um, for me personally, I'll read a codex. And it's, it's almost like doing art in a way for me. Like I'll, I very much equate writing an army list to drawing a picture or painting a picture or something like that. Okay. Um, where it's kind of just something, an idea that forms in the back of my brain over the course of could be weeks. Right. Um, and I'll think about it as I feel like it, as it comes to me just naturally. Yeah. And it'll always be on in the back burner of my mind, but I can't force it. Like I can't sit down and just create a list out of nowhere. Um, I've started to have to with my job, but generally speaking, that's not where my best work comes from. Interesting. It's when I have, you know, me time right. to just dwell on it and create it like it's a piece of art. So what, what's the, what makes you build a list then? Where do you start? Like, oh, I like this model because I just like how it, it does. Like, how do you do it? What's your now, for me personally, and as a competitive player, I think most players fall in the same category. Um, I find a concept that I find interesting. So, um, for example, new Harlequin rules just got leaked, so I've been building Harlequin lists. And um, the ideas I have around Harlequins are basically you can do what cool interactions do they have? Like what cool stuff can I do? Like I can cast Twilight Pathways on units to make them go super far and charge something. I can run in there with my solitaire, assassinate a character, and now I have abilities to teleport out of close combat really well to get back to safety and kind of yo-yo my solitaire. So I'll... I'll take the moving parts that I know. I know these are good strategies because I just have a, an immense wealth of game knowledge or I can teach you that if you're in the art of war. And then I'll take the parts that I need to make them make those combos happen. So I need a Shadow Seer and I need Skyweavers and I need troops so that I can launch stuff forward Twilight Pathways. I need a Solitaire. Um, then I'll look at stuff that... Okay, I have a concept. I, don't, I haven't even started touching points yet. I just have a concept. Now I want to figure out what is this list missing? Um, how many command points is it going to need? That kind of thing. Well, all the new Harlequin stuff is based on stratagems and relics, which all cost a million command points. So probably running at least two battalions, maybe a brigade, maybe a third battalion. So how hard is it to get a Harlequin brigade? Because then I'm taking you know three into the sky weavers, three void weavers, et cetera. Okay, it's very hard. So scratch the idea. How hard is it to get a triple battalion? It's doable. Three troop masters, three shadow seers, nine troops. It's doable, but it's expensive. So we'll put that on the back burner and kind of see what points we have left. What holes do I need to fill to build this list? Okay. Overwatch is a tremendous problem because my guys are toughness three and charging into tower armies. Like this isn't going to work. So you have to take a death gesture because he ignores Overwatch. So stuff like that um, <laughs> is how I basically build. So I make some concepts and then I just flush those concepts out more and more and more. That's interesting. Uh, I just read in the comments, someone said, uh, LOL, Dave probably doesn't even know what Twilight Pathways is, and they are absolutely correct. I don't know. What uh, it is warp time. Um, okay, so it's literally, literally warp time. Does it work the same way? It's the exact same yeah, way. Range, range, um, and then cast on the six, and then you <laughs> move. <laughs> Do you know what time does? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, like, you know, if it's not chaos, then it's ah, it is just so muddy in my brain, right? Like, and even <laughs> yeah. even still. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know I, I all chaos. Like, call things by uh, name, and when they're commonly used like that, like Twilight Pathways, and I just assume everyone knows what I'm talking about. That's, like, no, it's it's almost like we were on a hill, okay? And yeah. if we took the stops out of the wheels, it's like uh, Harlequins, go Nick, go, and then like all this like <laughs> stuff just floods out. Uh, and then, <laughs> oh man, uh, yeah, but it, it's interesting because like if it's not the army that I collect. And I guess that's what the art of war is, right? It's like knowing your that's, opponent. Yeah. So in, in the war room, which is our like members only area, we have different coaches. So it's me, uh, 
Richard Siegler, Mark Perry, Brad Chester, all those guys I mentioned before, and many, many more, like T.J. Lanigan for Chaos, tons of guys. And we all we teach six classes a week on all the different factions. So for someone like you, Dave, who only knows about Chaos, but if you're trying to elevate your game competitively, you need to learn the other factions. You can't just be ignorant to what they do. You don't have to play them, but you have to understand what they're trying to do, how they win, how your army interacts with theirs. So we can teach you that without you having to spend hours trying to learn Harlequins without playing Harlequins. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And that therein comes the lifestyle, right? Because comes the lifestyle, exactly. Yeah, because you're learning about other stuff too, which which is cool, right? If you want to do, if you want to play competitively at at, at that level, is what you're saying. Right. Uh, to play casually, it's like, different. Yeah. So casually, if you legitimately don't care if you win or lose, like it's fun to win, but like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Then yeah, you don't need to know more rules, but it will directly increase your win rate the more knowledge of the game you have. That can be true for anything. Do you know what the stats are? Uh, for 40k gamers that are competitive that care about competitive because everyone's competitive to a degree so like that focus on competitive versus the overall uh just i'm a gamer i'm a casual gamer i have no idea are you, are you aware of the stats well okay according and this is it's skewed because uh mini wargaming's audience is mostly not competitive right about 15 percent of mini wargaming is competitive and that's because of polls that's results from polls but sure. that's that's a, if you were to ask a different channel then it might be the opposite right i mean right. if you asked art of wars channel i'm sure nearly 100 percent would be competitive right it's like that's why they're there right and right, and right. so like what's the actual stat i'm sure gw has that maybe uh, i don't even know i don't know if it's a stat that's accurately calculatable believe me my love my life would be a lot easier from a marketing perspective um if i did have the answer to that question so I was really hoping you could legitimately just give me the number, but yeah. I, don't, I don't think anyone has it. <laughs> well, I can tell you, Mini Wargaming, 15%. I can tell you that with certainty. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> but you knew that already. You knew that it's mostly uh, yeah, casual yeah, gaming. Yeah, you're on Mini Wargaming literally not to listen to me, but also to listen to me now. Right, yeah. No, it's interesting because like, uh, I'm talking to you, and we, we have so much commonality between us, I think, because uh, I mean, we have the game itself, and we have our, our love for our factions. And mm-hmm. the, the, the only difference is... Uh, well, you do what you do for a living, and it's different than what I do, but we're both contributing to the same pot of... Well, absolutely. Right? I mean, there's that's one of the coolest things about 40K, is that it's such a vast hobby. There's the painters, there's the hobbyists, there's the builders, there's the converters, there's the fluff people, there's the players, and there's the, the, the mix of in-between. You know, A lot of people cross-dip in, the, in yep. the multiple fields. Absolutely. And there's no one right way to enjoy the hobby. No. The best part about the hobby is it's so all-encompassing. There's something for everybody. Right. So while you and I might not have the same enjoyment from the hobby, like what what you know gets my gears going might not be what gets yours, doesn't mean there's a right way to do it or a wrong way to do it. And I think a lot of times I don't want to generalize the casual crowd. That's not my place. But I feel like the casual crowd wants to impose you know, negativity upon the competitive community where it's like, Let's not do that. And probably the negative community, the competitive community also poses negativity on the casual community. Like there's, why does there have to be negativity? It's just a freaking hobby. Let's enjoy it together. Yeah. That makes sense though. What you said about crossing over, because uh, I'm looking in the comments and even still, like I know there's a lot of people who, who enjoy the lore, who enjoy painting, who enjoy playing competitively. Uh, there's, there's a crossover, enjoy reading the books. Yeah, yeah. Right. And like, there's some painters you talk to, they work on one model all year and they win mm-hmm. their Slayer sword. And they couldn't yeah. tell you all of the new release uh, releases Absolutely. of the models for that year. It's yeah. a completely different aspect of the hobby, uh, but they're still in the hobby. 
And I think er, I think we each each of us as a player, we have a certain percentage of what we care most about. Like, yes, I, there's a certain level of competitiveness that I care about. Uh, it's not the same percentage as yours, uh, but it is there, right? Like, of course, I care about winning. Uh, but even if you've never been in a tournament before, you're playing your buddy. Are you trying to lose? Yeah, no, you're trying. Yeah, you're trying yeah. to win, right? Yeah. Uh, if and so it's. I think everyone has percentages out of the same thing because there's crossover with everything so it's hard to say oh i am just a competitive player that doesn't make sense because you you enjoy all of it but if you were to chop it up into percentages i'm curious to know what the largest percentage bracket would be because that does exist right yeah there definitely is empirical data on that and whether or not we found it or not is a different question but that does exist like you said yeah yeah um i know that i i i have a funny feeling that uh more and more people are getting into the competitive scene uh, because yeah. it's, it's bigger than I it was before. Like tournament numbers are up, more interest in the concept of competitive 40K. Like we're trying to break it into the esports world over here. Uh, that's some of the projects that Artie War is working on. Cool. Like, absolutely right. But that doesn't mean that that could also be that the player pool is expanding. That's really what I want. Yeah. Um, let's say there's 1,000 40K players in the world and as of yesterday, there were 400 players of that 1,000 that are interested in competitive 40K, and now there's 420 today. So that is cool for me as a competitive teacher and content creator, but that doesn't, I'd rather the pool of players now be 1,020 also. So, you know, there's still just as many people interested in the casual side predominantly, but now there's just more people in the hobby, and that's happy. That's good for everybody, no matter which way you slice it. All right, Nick, how can people find you? Where should they go? So- so you can find me on Artivora. I think I've mentioned it once or twice this video. Um, my website is theartivore40k.com. I have a Twitch channel where I do daily paint streams at 3 p.m. Eastern time, so about an hour from now. Um, and we do stream matches. We're doing one this Friday at 6 p.m. That's twitch.tv slash AOW40K. You can like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that jazz. Um, and, yeah, that's, that's where you find me. And so, so it's – okay, it's your website, and you're also – Facebook, Twitter, you're everywhere, right? And you, yeah, yeah. you're on YouTube as well. YouTube as well, yeah. yeah YouTube. We're, our YouTube channel is very young, but we're, we're getting there. Yeah. Uh, okay, so if, and if people who, like, you have articles too. I was reading on your website. Yeah, so yeah. That's, on, that's on our website, theartofwar40k.com. We post articles. I just posted one today. Actually, yesterday. No, I posted one today too. A lot of articles. Um, we have a podcast. You can check that out. Um, we break down uh competitive armies and really break down the strategies and tactics to how they went do with uh player interviews every week um and we do stream matches for both public just entertainment and we do coaching stream matches where we teach you how to play at that high level uh, that's over on facebook in our war room uh to get access to the worm it's just a members only thing where we teach the six classes i mentioned plus we do a weekly meta breakdown if you're interested in knowing what other good armies are um and we do a weekly coaching match um so Right now, we're running a 20% promo code for that, which is AOW40K2020. That expires as of Monday. Um, so you got like four days left, five days left to cash in on that. So do that. Um, and I believe a random person who's viewing this also gets a coaching session with me. Is that right, Dave? That is right. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. So out of the, let's see, how many eyes do we have here? Uh, according to Restream, we have 271 people. Uh, so we need to... You know what? We got to do this. We have to ask a question, and then okay. it, it's got to be uh, they got to answer it. So you guys have to answer the question, and then we randomly choose a person who has answered correctly. 
Okay. Yeah. So what's the question? Uh, actually, how would you like to ask it? Could be what anything. are we asking? I'm so confused. <laughs> so what's your idea? Ask a ask a 40k question. Could be anything. Like a rules question or just like a fluff question? One or? word. It's a one word answer. All right. What is so you know? I don't feel like I feel like people should know this, but they're not going to know this. What is my favorite model in 40k? Is that too specific? That's very specific. <laughs> yeah, um, actually, is it? It's what? What'd you say? It's Fate Weaver. It's Fate Weaver. Okay. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I think. Why don't we just do this? Let's just type in a word, guys. Type in the word chaos, and then that's it. We'll just do that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Then everyone can type it in if they want. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's probably better. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I see the comments coming, and that makes more sense. Excellent. Yeah. Ah, so, someone put in Fate Weaver. <laughs> oh, they do. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll give you guys a second to, to type it in due to the lag that you might be experiencing from around the globe. And so in the meantime, uh, so I, I do have a question for you, Nick. Yeah. What? Okay, you said you, I mean, it was like 10 years old. You said you were 10 when you first got into it in general, but it was 16 yeah. when you started playing competitively. Uh, well, I went to like RTTs when I was like 13, 14, but I started going to like traveling for events when I was like 16. Are you academic? Is your brain wired to be academic? Do you do well in like school uh, and like? That's a very really interesting question. So I'm, I'm wired to be academic when I'm interested in a topic. Okay. And I'm useless when I'm not interested in topics. So, I mean, that, that's fair. Yeah. So at school specifically, I did excellent in the subjects I was interested in okay. and I didn't do any work whatsoever <laughs> for any of the other subjects, but I, I like to think I'm relatively smart. So I still skated by uh -huh. with like some last minute cramming and just being good at taking tests. But now is this like you being modest and you're actually yeah. a genius and yeah, it's yeah. like, no. Okay. So it... I, I know, I know I got the Indian look going on. We're supposed to be like super geniuses out here, but I promise it's not real. <laughs> okay. That's the second <laughs> reference I've heard you make. You called yourself brown at the beginning of this. No, oh, I know. It's, I, it's part of who I am. I embrace it. It's a look. <laughs> um, I have a question for you, Dave. Yeah, what's up? Has this conversation illuminated your understanding of the competitive 40K scene at all? Absolutely. Or has yeah. interested in it at all? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's squashed some, uh, some of the preconceived thoughts, that uh, impressions that I've had. So that's good. Are and... you saying that to make it feel better? Nope. Uh, I, I do not lie. Uh, that's great. Yeah. And when I'm challenged, I have to accept. That's the champion of chaos old rule. Mm, fair enough. Fair yeah. Enough. So uh, if you challenge me to uh, tell, tell the truth, then I will. Mm, yeah. So I, absolutely. No, because like I didn't I don't know anything about the competitive scene. Like I I haven't been to a single I haven't participated in a single tournament ever. Not once. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Because you're so involved in Zabi. That's crazy. Yeah, but a completely different side of the the, the yeah, yeah. yeah the mm -hmm. pyramid, right? So it's um, okay. So let's let's choose a winner. Okay, it's uh, going to be random according to what platform you're watching on. So it doesn't matter if you're Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Periscope does not matter. All right, are we ready? Mm -hmm. This is completely random. Three, two, one. Boop. Alex Venegas. All right. Okay. Um, 
Alex, if you're watching this live, uh, you can email me at nick at theartofwar40k.com, or you can go onto our website, uh, theartofwar40k.com, and just click the contact us thing and just send an email there. Either way, I'll get it, and then I'll reply, and then we'll get started on your little coaching session. Awesome. So uh, Nick, uh, he, or sorry, Nick, uh, Alex, he left a comment here. This is the comment that I'm actually, sure. Uh, one of the his earlier comments. He said, uh, now Nick can start making up thing. Quote, Dave, don't forget about Star Sweepers or the Whirly School Bus. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I, think, I think he's alluding to the fact that when you were talking about the Harlequins before, that there was a stratagem that you mentioned, or uh, yeah, it's, no, a psychic ability that you mentioned that I didn't know the name of. And right, so he's right. like, yeah, you can basically make stuff up and I just won't know what you're talking about. Well, that's fair. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. It's no secret that I don't know Harlequins. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, that's that's that. That's the, the winner. So thank you uh, for participating, everyone who has left a comment. Uh, now here's a question for the viewers. Uh, would you guys like me to interview Nick again in the future? And, you say yes. And if so, what should the show topics be? Hint, hint. Um, I will probably ask him, uh, like immediately if you make it about chaos, <laughs> battle him. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'd, I'd like that. I just, uh, I have okay. to find my way out to kid at some point. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll battle you, but we'll do it like street fighter. I'll have a handicap. And, uh, okay. if, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the only way where it's even going to make sense. You can, you can, you can make up the rules for this battle and, Whatever narrative, I'll make it work. <laughs> but here's the here's the part though. Here's the thing. I'm gonna make up all these handicaps, and I'm still gonna lose. And uh, that's why it's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But here's the thing. If I kill stuff with corn units, that that's I I won in my mind. Like that's all that's all that needs to happen. I can make it so you don't kill anything. Challenge accepted. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt that you have this ability. Uh, but it makes sense, though. I mean, like, uh, it, really, if you think about it, you are the you're the professional. You're uh, the top. You're one of the top. I want to say you're one of the top because you're in a pool of multiple people who are top. You, you've been right. the top many times. You are the top. And so for me to fight against you, is it's, it's an unfair fight. It's a dude who goes jogging every morning fighting against an MAA champion. Uh, and so yeah, it just it doesn't make sense. It's like, OK, yeah. uh, you with your hands tied behind your back on your knees and you'll still beat me because you can use your mouth and bite my limbs off. <laughs> Literally. I don't know if it's that extreme, but it's, it's definitely a, a similar analogy for sure. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I think it might be fun though to do something. Well, I think it'd be fun. I, I do enjoy those like guests come on to the, to the other channel games and see what we can make happen here. Things. I'd be down. All right, so uh, people are like, yes, uh, more interviews. Topics could include list creation, thematic paint schemes, table etiquette, attorneys. All of those I can, well, thematic paint schemes might not be my forte, but I can try. The other two I can definitely speak a lot towards. You know what I could do? I can run a poll and uh, have like a bunch of different topics and like the first few that get the, the most upvotes. I think yeah, we can I'd be happy to. Awesome. Well, Nick, thanks for coming on to the show and uh, interacting with us. Uh, yeah, thanks uh, so much for having me, David. Thanks for kind of illuminating the competitive 40k side. And whether or not it was with me or anyone else, I'm glad you are taking those steps to shed some light on the subject. 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's my pleasure. And uh, I, this was great. There was a lot, there's some stuff that you mentioned. Uh, I, I must admit, there's some stuff that you mentioned, and you mentioned it really quickly, and you mentioned it like it was no big deal. It was part of the roster of like the information that you have on the armies, and I'm like, yeah, oh man, I gotta use that. I, I gotta, <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I like because yeah. it's like stuff that I read once, and yeah. I'm like, oh, I'll never use that. And then you're like, oh, oh no, yeah. you could do this, and you can make them like ten times more powerful. I'm like, what? <laughs> what the heck? Oh, uh, so yeah, there is a lot I can teach you guys. Yeah, sure so no, that. that's that's really cool. Uh, so okay thanks again Nick and thank you guys uh, we're going to stop the stream now uh, make sure to leave your comments and like this and share this video so that other people can see in the community that uh, there is definitely cross promotion when it comes to narrative casual and competitive and that we all have fun in this so thanks again guys happy wargaming <laughs>